Morning, everyone, and uh, thanks so much for being here uh, this morning. As uh, we've talked about, we're thinking today about the nations, and this morning, Alan Crop uh, is here with us. Uh, Alan and Jill uh, represent some 700 uh, international workers with the Christian and Missionary Alliance who are working and living in some 81 uh, different countries. And every denomination, every church, every tradition kind of does missions and international work a little differently. Uh, within our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, our missionaries spend about three to four years uh, in their country and then come home for a year. Sometimes that changes depending on the missionary or the field, uh, but typically they're in their country three to four years and then come home. And when they're home, they travel, they speak, they share what is happening in the country uh, that they work in. And Alan and Jill uh, work in the country of Japan, along with their four children. Uh, Alan will be out in the cafe, which is out these doors to your right, down the hall, uh, is our cafe. He has a table there. He'll be there after each this service to answer any questions, interact with you, talk with you. Uh, he'd love to do that. Uh, Alan was actually here five years ago. Uh, some of you maybe remember him. In May of 2013, Alan was with us. And so when we were scheduling these weekends, we saw Alan was available one to get them back uh, here to Hope. So let's welcome back uh, Alan Crop to Hope Church this morning. Good morning. Uh, maybe some of you uh, heard a word that you recognized, Ohio. Uh, believe it or not, the word Ohio means good morning in Japanese. So all of you are well on your way to being fluent in Japanese. You can add that to your Japanese vocabulary with Honda, uh, Toyota, Sony PlayStation, uh, Nintendo, Emoji, that comes from Japan, uh, Anime. And so, uh, you know, you guys can come to Japan. We need more workers there. And so it is a, it is a great privilege to be with you this morning. Um, you know, there are a lot of good causes um, to support. But fulfilling Jesus' last command to disciple all the nations is the greatest cause we can be a part of. This morning, I hope you connect the dots and you'll be encouraged that what you do here in Brunswick has an impact on the other side of the world. You see, the gospel is being shared, the kingdom is advancing. The captives are being set free, people are being baptized, churches are being planted. Leaders are being raised up and disciples are being sent out on mission with Jesus. And you're a part of this. Thank you for investing in eternity. Thank you for investing in us and the work of the Alliance. We can't do it without you. Um, before uh, you join me on my journey this morning, uh, let's just take some time to talk to our Heavenly Father. And let's just pray that this time would be a time where he meets us in a special way, in a unique way, in a new way, and that he changes our hearts and aligns our hearts with his heart. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, there is no other. What a privilege it is, Lord, to be here this morning and to sing songs of praise to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here with us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for their life, for their sacrifice, for the light that they're being here in Brunswick. The Holy Spirit, it is my desire this morning that you would just uh, use me as a weak instrument in your hand to share your word and to share our story. Uh, 
And Lord Jesus, we just leave the, revolt, the results in your hands. The Holy Spirit, we know that you're at work in our lives. You're making us more like Jesus each and every day. Uh, we trust that as we leave this place, that uh, we would look more like you in our thoughts, uh, in our attitudes, in our actions, and in our mission with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please take your copy of God's Word this morning and open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Uh, this is a very dense passage, um, but this morning I'm going to do my best to work through it and uh, share some uh, truths that really impacted me and, and have shaped me and uh, who I am today. Now, the backstory to 1 Peter is really important to understanding this letter. Uh, Peter, the former fisherman and now apostle of Jesus, is a key leader in the early church. And Peter is writing this letter to these believers who are relatively new in their faith. And the church is growing and it's spreading. And the church is made up of Gentiles and Jewish background Christians. And they're scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And God has placed these believers in some challenging environments. These new believers are walking one step behind Jesus, but they're finding it hard. They're living and working in pagan societies. Uh, the cultures they find themselves in are spiritually dark. Uh, immorality is rampant and idolatry is the norm. The values of Jesus and his kingdom are clashing with the cultures that they find themselves in. In fact, these believers are starting to feel like they're foreigners living in a different world. Maybe some of you can relate to that this morning. And as a result of following Jesus, these believers are starting to experience rejection and hostility and harassment from friends and neighbors and coworkers. These believers are desperate for a word of encouragement. Their hope is being tested. They need some encouragement. So in this passage this morning, Peter's going to remind them of two rock-solid truths. Simply put, Peter's going to remind them who they are in God's sight. They need to know that they have a unique position before God. In other words, they need to know about their identity in Christ. This is who they are, and this is how God sees them. Then secondly, from their unique position, Peter wants them to see that they now have this unique purpose or mission or task or a job that God has given them. So let's listen to God's word together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's been over six years now, but on March 11, at 2.46 p.m., there was a 9.0 magnitude earthquake that struck off the northeast coast of Japan. This violent earthquake lasted about three minutes. This earthquake was so powerful, it literally tilted the earth's axis so that we lost a microsecond. This earthquake was so powerful, it altered time. This earthquake was also so powerful, it took the main island of Honshu, which is a landmass about the size of Minnesota, and it was moved eight feet to the east. 250 miles of the northeast coastline dropped two feet. The vibrations from this earthquake were even detected by satellites in outer space. As you recall, the earthquake triggered a monster tsunami that ravaged the northeast coastline of Japan. In some places, the tsunami was as high as 133 feet. In some places, traveling inland, three miles. The tsunami then ex uh, did an extensive damage to the nuclear power plant in Fukushima. You probably recall images where buildings were blowing up, spewing radiation into the air and radiation into the ocean. Six years later, the situation is totally not under control. According to the latest report that I read, it's going to take decades for them to clean up this mess. Over 20,000 lives were lost. Tens of thousands of people were displaced. The damage from the tsunami is estimated at $300 billion. Well, over four years ago, the Lord placed us in this tsunami-ravaged city of Ishinomaki. Now, the word Ishinomaki is made up of two characters. Uh, the first character is Ishi, which means stone or rock. And then the second character is Maki, which means to wrap or to roll. So when you think about the city of Ishinomaki, you can think of it as the city of rock and roll. <laughs> now, the city of Ishinomaki is a city of 150,000 people. That's considered rural in Japan. It was one of the hardest hit cities by the tsunami. Over 40% of the city was inundated with water. About 5,000 people lost their lives. And the task before us was to start a ministry center to show and share the love of Jesus with these tsunami survivors with a hope of starting a local church. With the help of some teammates, we started a ministry center called the Ishinomaki New Life Center. Uh, this house is literally in the disaster zone. My office is about a five-minute walk from the Pacific Ocean, or to the Pacific Ocean. Over 50 people perished in this neighborhood alone, and the water went up to the second floor of this house. Most of the houses in this neighborhood were washed away. And over the last couple of years, we've done a variety of things to show and share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. We've served our community by cleaning out ditches and cutting grass at local parks. Children were obviously affected by the tsunami as well, so we started a basketball English Bible camp in a local public school where my kids attended. We had people from the U.S. and Canada, Alliance folks like yourselves, come and love on these kids by teaching them English. We also partnered with a Japanese pastor, and he shared Bible stories using puppets. This last year, we added gospel music, and we taught these kids gospel music, sowing the seed of the gospel into their young hearts. In all that we do at the New Life Center, it's always our goal to show and share the love of Jesus. Sometimes we show more, sometimes we share more, but we always try to balance proclamation with demonstration. 
word and deed is important to us because that's how Jesus did ministry. Now, this morning, there's a lot of things I could talk about in terms of our ministry, but there's one ministry in particular where I want to go a little bit deeper. You see, we'd been living in Ishinomaki for about a year, and initially, we were just kind of taking this shotgun approach to ministry, just kind of doing whatever we could, uh, listening to people, having conversations, trying to figure out how can we meet practical needs and help these folks and love on them the way Jesus would love on them. But we were also praying and asking Jesus, Lord, what does it mean for us to love our neighbors well? If we were in their shoes, how would we want to be loved? Well, one day I was taking a walk with my uh, newborn son, Asher. And uh, the, the place where the Lord had located us was in this duplex, this new housing development. And we were living right next to the largest temporary housing encampment in our city. And so there were a lot of tsunami su- survivors just walking around. So this one afternoon, I was taking a walk with my son. And uh, I saw this lady, this young lady in her 70s in the distance. And when she saw me holding this little baby, she was on to me like a heat-seeking missile. And she just approached me, and we engaged in conversation. And she immediately started to go into her story, her 311 story, her tsunami story. And she went on to say, you know what? It's been two years since that tsunami. And I was literally washed away, and debris hit me in the face and knocked out my teeth. And miraculously, I was thrown onto this embankment, and I was rescued, and I was saved. It's been two years since that experience. But do you know what? Right now is the most difficult time. Right now is the most difficult time. I can't eat. I can't sleep. My life is full of anxiety. Right now is the most difficult time. Well, we continued to talk a little bit longer, and then we parted ways. And as I was walking away from that conversation, I was just processing what I'd heard. And it was as if the Holy Spirit just put on my heart and spoke to my heart and impressed upon me a vision. And the Holy Spirit basically said this, I want you to focus on these people's hearts. I want you to start a ministry of presence, a ministry where you listen, a ministry where you enter into people's pain and loss and suffering and grief. In other words, I want you to start a Christian counseling ministry so that you can listen with the ears of Jesus so you can know how to speak the words of Jesus. Well, fast forward to the present, and we are the only Christian counseling center in an area the size of West Virginia. As you can imagine, it takes a certain skill set and training to minister to people who've been traumatized like this. And I don't have that training. And so we prayed. And what's so cool is as we prayed, we saw God's faithfulness, and he provided a Japanese Christian counselor. To our knowledge, there are about 10 Japanese Christian counselors who are trained to do this type of work. And God was faithful to provide. He gave us the vision. He provided the personnel. And God's using this Christian counseling ministry in some powerful ways. Following the tsunami, there was this one young man in his 30s who literally shut himself in his apartment for two years. He was obviously living at home with his folks, and so they provided for his needs, but he couldn't leave his house. He couldn't hold a job. He couldn't engage with people. It was just too much trauma. Well, somehow his neighbor heard about our ministry, 
And our, his, our, his neighbor talked to him and they talked to us and uh, they asked him if he'd be willing to meet with, with us and our counselor. And he said, yes. And so he started to come to our ministry center to get counseling. And in time, we saw great improvement in this young man's life. And one day when our Christian counselor was just listening to his story, she learned that he actually liked to learn English. And so in our counselor's mind, she thought, I need to connect this guy with Alan. Maybe Alan can be an English conversation partner with this guy. And so she connected us and we talked and I said, yes, I'd be willing to meet with you weekly uh, to be your English conversation partner. But would you be willing to also study the Bible with me in Japanese for an hour as well? He said, yes, he was eager. He was willing to do this. And so after several months of counseling and hours of English conversation and Bible study in Japanese, this young man today is actually calling himself a seeker, a kudosha, someone who is on a path, a journey to seek after something. Because we've been talking about Jesus, because we've been studying the word of God, he wants to know more about this Jesus we've been talking about. He's a seeker. And what we're discovering is that as we love people by listening to their story, people are wanting to know more about this Jesus. Well, returning to our text this morning, in a similar fashion, Peter was listening to the difficult stories and challenges of these believers and what they were facing. Peter writes to encourage them in their faith. And the first truth he wants them to know is this. It's that they have a unique position. In other words, they have a new identity in Christ. Peter wants them to know this is how God sees you. So how does God see them? And how does God see us? Well, it says this in verse four and five. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in order to feel the full impact of these verses, we need to go back to the Old Testament library. You see, the Old Testament is primarily a story about the nation of Israel. And it's always been God's intention to dwell with people. The temple in, the, in Jerusalem was the one place where God's presence uniquely dwelt on earth. The temple in Jerusalem is where heaven and earth intersected. All of Israel's worship and religious activity was centered around the temple. The temple is where God was with his people. His presence was uniquely manifested there in Jerusalem. And in the temple, there were priests. And these men had this privileged status before God and people to bring God to people and people to God. And they did this by offering sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel. So in the Old Testament, we see that the nation of Israel had access to God in ways that no other nation had. Israel was God's unique people. Uh, to use the word from the King James, peculiar people. And so as the people of God, they were to live and to worship in such a way that other nations would know how great and good and glorious God is. This was Israel's identity as a people. This is how God viewed them, and this is how they were to view themselves. Peter, now addressing Christians, addressing us, says this in verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now jump down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. What Peter does here is truly remarkable because Peter is saying now that we, the church, are God's prized possession. We now have this unique position before him. Peter wants us to see that we no longer have to run to a temple to experience God's presence. We no longer have to work through a priest to connect with the one true living God. Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone. In other words, we now have access to God the Father through Jesus. And we're to build our faith, our lives, and yes, our hope on Jesus and Jesus alone. God is doing something new, and it's no longer about a place. It's about a person, and his name is Jesus. In fact, God is using us as living stones to build a new spiritual house or a new temple. We are the people of God, and we are the the people of the presence. The Spirit dwells in us individually, but he also dwells mysteriously corporately when you gather like this on Sunday. You see, in the New Testament, there are no more sacred structures, sacred buildings. In the New Testament, we are the sacred space. God is in us, he's with us, and he wants to work through us. We collectively now have this privileged status to bring God to people and people to God. All of us serve, all of us play a part. And when you have a building made of stones, there are all kinds of shapes and sizes, and some are visible and some are invisible. But every one of us is important and has a part to play in God's structure. Each of us is a living stone in God's new building he's constructing. You see, in verse 6 through 8, Paul, or excuse me, Peter is actually giving some biblical support here for the claims that he's making. Because the Old Testament was anticipating that God was going to do something new beyond the temple in Jerusalem. In verse 6, it says this, quoting Isaiah 28, 16, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, in the ancient times, the cornerstone was the first and most important stone that was laid. All the other stones were squared or plumbed or built off of that cornerstone. If the cornerstone was faulty in any way, the entire structure would be compromised. Now, I'm sure these words would have been a great source of encouragement to these new believers. Because they had put their trust in Jesus. In fact, Peter gives a sweet promise. Those who trust in him will never be put to shame. See, Peter is assuring them and he's assuring us today, that when we place our trust in Jesus and build our lives on the living stone, he's reliable. He's rock solid. He's secure. You can never go wrong when you build your life on Jesus. In verse 7, quoting Psalm 118, 22, it says, Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. In verse 8, quoting Isaiah 8, 14, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey 
the message. Soon after we arrived in Ishinomaki over four years ago, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Suzuki came to our ministry center. Uh, he literally came knocking on our door and said, would you please come and teach us the Bible? You see, Mr. Suzuki, before he had uh, been impacted by the tsunami, had used all of his life savings to build a brand new home. And when that tsunami came, it destroyed everything. And he didn't have the proper insurance, and so he had nothing. In fact, the clothes he's wearing today are the clothes he received from Christian volunteers who loved on him and encouraged him. And somehow he heard about our ministry center. And so he came to us and said, would you please come to our temporary housing encampment and teach us the Bible? They were curious. Who are these Christians? Why are they so different? What motivates these Jesus people to, com to help complete strangers? Why are they so peculiar? Well, we taught Mr. Suzuki and about four or five other people, um, his friends, the Bible for two years. And we met with them every Thursday from 10 till 12. And we shared the gospel with them multiple times. And I remember this one occasion where I was going through the gospel of Matthew and I was teaching on the passage where Jesus is calling Simon Peter and his brother Andrew to come follow him. Do you remember that passage? And I asked a rhetorical question that morning or that evening. I said, I'm curious. If Jesus were here right now and he were to say, come follow me, how would you respond? Again, rhetorical question. And Mr. Suzuki piped up and said, no. I was kind of taken aback by that. I was kind of shocked, kind of surprised. But as I thought and processed what he said, it made sense to me why he responded the way he did. You see, Mr. Suzuki had been sitting under the teaching of the Bible for over two years, so he knew exactly what Jesus was calling him to. Because when Jesus calls us to follow him, it means we have to leave everything behind. For Peter, it was his fishing net. For Mr. Suzuki, it would mean leaving behind ancestor worship and worshiping idols made of stone. Before leaving Japan in May, I met with Mr. Suzuki again, and I shared the gospel with him again. And he told me, you know what, Alan? I want to become a Christian, but there's a problem. What's that problem, Mr. Suzuki? Well, my ancestors have been worshiping at this temple for 400 years. 400 years. And I can't be the one to bring it to an end. I can't be the one to sever that connection. The reality is when Jesus stands in the path of our life, we have one of two responses. We either receive Jesus or we reject him. Jesus either becomes our savior or he becomes a stumbling block. Unfortunately, at this time, for Mr. Suzuki, Jesus is a stumbling block. And I hate sharing this story with you because when you come back from serving four years in a difficult nation, you want to come back with all the great stories. You want to share all the stories of, look how many people I led to Jesus. But the reality is, sometimes it's just not that way. And ultimately, it's our job to share and it's God's job to save. I'm sure all of us have a Mr. Suzuki in our life. Can you picture that person, that neighbor, that family member, that coworker 
Who's your Mr. Suzuki who is just continuing to say no? I want to encourage you this morning to keep sharing and keep praying for these friends, these family members. I know I'm trusting and praying that when the timing is just right, Mr. Suzuki is going to come to Jesus. In verse 9 and 10, Peter brings it back to their story. He says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, Peter is telling us again, just in case we missed it the first time, that we have a unique position before God. We have a new identity in Christ. We are God's people. But Peter adds an extra phrase here to remind the believers that our walk with God doesn't end with our position. Peter wants us to know that we are God's people for a purpose. We have a unique position, and with that position comes a unique purpose. Did you catch our unique purpose in these verses? It's this. It's to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In other words, Peter's telling us that now that we are the people of God, we're to be all about proclaiming who God is and what he has done in our lives. This is our mission and our purpose flows from the joy and gratitude for all that God has done for us. We are to be all about making the gospel available to all peoples here, there, and everywhere. And the reality is there are millions and millions of people who still lack access to the gospel. The gospel is not available to them to hear. There are people groups and language groups and segments of society that don't have access to the gospel. In other words, the gospel of Jesus is out of their grasp. In other words, there are people groups who don't have any Christians in them or very few Christians in them. And if there's a church there, and that's an if, it's very small and fragile. So far, 16,818 people groups have been identified. There's still 6,956 people groups that are still considered unreached. And by unreached, we mean less than 2% of the population knows Jesus. Friends, that's a lot of people disconnected from God. That's a lot of people who are on their way to a Christless eternity. So what we need to understand this morning is that the issue with the unreached is not that they're just unbelievers. I mean, they're unbelievers everywhere, right? The issue with the unreached is that in many cases, they don't even know there's a Jesus to believe in. The gospel is not available for them to hear. Well, let me illustrate to you what this means to be unreached by using some numbers. In the United States, you basically have to bump into six or seven people before you can hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Skip on over to Spain. You have to, to bump into 500 people before you can meet someone who can share the Jesus story or the gospel with you. Drop down to Morocco, 30,000 people before you can hear the gospel. Next slide, please. Let me illustrate this visually. Uh, these lights that you see here represent evangelical Christians around the world. Look at the United States. Do you see all the light? 
Praise God we have a lot of churches here. Praise God we have a lot of believers here. Uh, We have a healthy church, a self-sustaining church. Still a lot of work to do, still a lot of unbelievers to reach, but the gospel is accessible. It's available. On the drive to Hope Church this morning, how many churches did you drive by? But look at the far right hand of the screen there. Do you see Japan? Do you see the darkness? Visually, this is what it means to be unreached. Thick, spiritual darkness. This may surprise you this morning, but Japan is actually one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Less than one half of 1% of 125 million Japanese know Jesus. Recently, I just read some statistics that just blew my mind. 95% of Japanese have never heard the gospel. 88% of the population have never even met a Christian. Friends, this is why the alliance is in Japan. So as God's people, what motivates us in our new purpose to make the gospel available to all peoples? Well, I think the answer is in verse uh, 10. It says this, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, we talk about who God is and what he's done for us because of the mercy God has extended to us. God has had mercy on each and every one of us this morning. We were lost and Jesus came after us. Someone either shared the gospel with us or we found a church that preached the gospel. We heard this good news. We repented. We believed. We asked Jesus to, become, to come into our lives and we chose to follow him in discipleship. Friends, it's remembering God's mercy for all that he's done for us. It's this joy-filled fuel to join him in his purposes around the world. About six months before leaving Japan, I took a couple of days to take a personal spiritual retreat. You see, we'd been in Japan for three and a half years. We'd been showing and sharing the love of Jesus, doing all kinds of stuff. But I was burdened and discouraged because we weren't seeing any fruit. We were seeing people take steps towards Jesus, but we weren't seeing people embracing Jesus. I remember one afternoon I was just taking a walk and I was standing on this rock that was jetting into the Pacific Ocean and I just closed my eyes and was just praying to Jesus saying, Lord, you've got to have mercy on these people. Please do something. Draw these friends and these neighbors and all these people that we've invested in over these years to yourself. Please, Jesus, you've got to show up. Please have mercy. Do something. Save these people for your glory. We want to see fruit. Are we really making a difference? Are we really impacting our community for your kingdom? Well, soon after that experience, I sent an email to a close uh, pastor friend of mine who serves in Warren, Ohio. And I shared with him my heart and my burden. And he wrote back and said, Alan, we are going to pray for you guys every Wednesday at our prayer meeting. And we're going to pray that God will bless your efforts and give you some fruit. Well, days and weeks and months continue to go by no change. Well, in Japan, when you move or are going somewhere um, because of work or whatever, uh, saying goodbyes are really, really important. And so we started to do that. 
And so we connected with a couple called the Takahashis. Now, they were our literal neighbor for two years. And they had young children. We had young children, so our kids played together, and we hung out together and had meals together. Uh, there was a time in their relationship where it was kind of rocky, and so we counseled them, and we shared the gospel with them and studied the Word of God together and just had this really great relationship. I did this for about two years. And then because of work, he had to move about an hour south of us. That was really discouraging and disheartening because we invested so much in them. But we wanted to connect with them one last time before we came back to the States. So we gave them a call and we connected at a restaurant. We had a great time. And after uh, having a meal together, we went back to their apartment and we had coffee and dessert and we spent another couple hours together and just had a great time. It was getting late. It was around 9 o'clock in the evening. And so our kids were starting to melt down and their kids were starting to melt down. And so we said, it's time for us to go. And so we were packing our things and putting our shoes back on. And I looked at my friend Ken and it was as if he had something that he wanted to communicate to me, something he wanted to say. And so I just kept looking at him. And then finally he said, you know what? You guys are going back to the States, back to Ohio uh, for the year. And uh, you know what? I think when you guys go back, we'd like to come visit you. In fact, when we come and visit you, we'd love to pray and become Christians. It's like, oh my goodness, you're dropping this bomb on me right now. We're putting on our shoes and we're about to leave. And uh, I was like, okay, wow, um, do we have to wait? <laughs> can we do this now or can we do this sooner? And uh, well, because of the timing, he said, well, let's, just, let's do this. Okay, why don't we get together one more time and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have coffee and we'll talk and, and we'll pray. I said, great. And uh, obviously we're excited. Jill and I got back into our vehicle with our kids and we drove that hour drive back to our apartment. And we were just excited because we've been praying for years for fruit. Um, but also fear started to set in because we thought, well, what's going to happen between now and the time that they, they contact us? What is the enemy going to do to discourage them or, or, or continue to blind them? And so we were praying and praying and a day went by and no phone call and no text. Another day went by, no phone call, no text. Third day went by, no phone call, no text. Jesus, what's going on here? Is this going to happen? Well, finally, he got a hold of me and we made plans and we connected again at their apartment. So we drove down there and had coffee and dessert because that's what you do in Japan when you get together with friends. And... Uh, our kids were watching a little program on TV and I said, you know what, Ken, last time I was here, you mentioned that you would like to pray and become a follower of Jesus. Is that still your desire? And they said, yeah, it is. And so we went into the adjacent room and we um, knelt down on the floor. And uh, again, I just shared a simple gospel message, all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And I had the privilege of just sharing this good news with them again and Ken, you're the leader of the home, so I want you to pray first. And he's like, oh, really? I got to do this? Yeah, yeah, you go first. So he prayed and asked Jesus into his life. Looked at Mayumi, his wife, and said, sister, it's your turn. Is this what you want to do? Yeah, okay. And she prayed, and it was just a beautiful, sweet, sweet time. Because for years, we've been praying not just for individuals to come to Jesus, but to see couples and families come to Jesus. So God was faithful, and he answered our prayers and now we see this couple who is seeking to follow Jesus. On that night, in that small apartment, Ken and Miami became living stones. And so now they too are part of God's spiritual house that he's building from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. 
At one time, the gospel was not available to them. But because God planted us in this post-disaster city called Ishnomaki, they could actually hear and respond in faith to the gospel. Praise Jesus. By the way, a couple months ago, they actually came to Ohio to visit us. They were talking to their travel agent and like, why do you want to go to Cleveland? Why do you want to find a Cleveland? Because <laughs> most Japanese go to New York or LA or Hawaii. It's like, why Cleveland? Oh, we have friends there. Okay. It was a sweet time. She was with us for nine days. He was with us for four days. And it just gave us a chance to continue to invest in them because we're not just interested in conversions or decisions. We want to see people become disciples of Jesus. And so we saw that evidence of fruit in their lives. And when we talked to Miami, we said, you know, when we go back to Japan next summer, we want to start a church. And she said, zehi, zehi, which means please, please. So are you living out your purpose? Are you living the mission of Jesus? Are you showing and sharing the gospel with your friends and neighbors? If not, what's getting in the way? What's that obstacle? What's preventing you from doing this? Are you playing your part in making the gospel available to all peoples here, there, and everywhere? If not, it's time for a change. What does change look like for you? We're going to have a time of prayer. And while I'm praying, I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. I want to give you some time and space to just think about what we've talked about this morning. What needs to change in your life? What needs to happen so that you align your heart with God's heart? Just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what's that roadblock? What's getting in the way? Please show me my role, my part in making sure the gospel is available to all peoples, here, there, and everywhere.